Welcome to People Admin's Higher Education Podcast. Today's episode will cover four strategies to recruit a diverse workforce. Now, for those of you who don't know, People Admin is the leading provider of cloud-based talent management solutions for higher education. My name is Kevin Keenman, and I'm going to share with you some audio from a presentation delivered at last year's People Connect, which is People Admin's annual customer conference. During the presentation, titled Diversity Recruitment, The View from Rice University, Rice's Director of Recruitment and Operations, Wayne Robinson, offered four strategies to help higher education institutions recruit and hire diverse candidates. The first suggestion involved paying attention to how you word position descriptions. Take care with position description wording to avoid implicit bias in describing required and preferred experience and skills. Okay, so what does implicit bias mean? A common definition is that it is thoughts and feelings we are unaware of, but we have. Rather than being neutral, we have a preference for or an aversion to a person or group of people, often based on stereotypes. For example, I always assume dogs are male and cats are female, which is really odd because I've had four dogs and they're all female. Wayne explained that position descriptions containing implicit biases often lead to job postings that needlessly discourage underrepresented candidates from applying. Have you ever read through a job posting through the eyes of a minority group, disabled person, or a job traditionally filled by a particular gender, and realize it might be off-putting to some? I've also noticed that some hiring groups tend to overstate the job requirements because of the human tendency to overstate what is needed. There are probably some psychology experiments about why we do that. Perhaps it serves to elevate our own spot in the job hierarchy. Like, I couldn't possibly get an assistant to work for me that hasn't attained the status of supreme omnipotence in Microsoft Word. Well, I really don't need that. Instead, the real need is for a standard or intermediate level of competence in word usage. So review the job requirements and preferences to make sure they're appropriate for the position. For example, consider this typical staff assistant. In the experience requirement, instead of requires two years of experience working, supporting a corporate manager or executive, you might use experience providing administrative support in an office setting. Do you see how that's much broader? Next, in the skills assessment, instead of requires intermediate knowledge or intermediate to advanced knowledge of Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel, you might ask for competence with word processing at a level to produce routine letters and memos and spreadsheet competence at a level to to maintain an inventory of supplies or mailing lists. That actually is what the person would be doing anyway, so that's why it's more appropriate. In skills versus traits, more and more I've I've noticed an interest from hiring managers to diversify their workforce by avoiding the goal of hiring only good fits. And you always have to use air quotes when you say that. It implies that only persons with similar backgrounds and skills would be able to effectively contribute to the team's effort. Perhaps you can identify other subtle or implicit biases like mature and cooperative demeanor. Instead, try ability to effectively contribute as a member of a diverse team. It might help to avoid seeking people with training experience that is essentially all the same. 
Instead of good phone voice, you might try ability to speak effectively by phone. What exactly is a good phone voice anyway? Wayne went on to offer an example of how restrictive job requirements had an adverse impact at Rice University. Um, I have a real life story that, that can amplify the point here. There was a recent Rice posting and for an executive assistant in our president's office. The person would have primary responsibility for managing the president's correspondence, including the responsibility to compose standard letters on behalf of the president. At first, the posting required writing samples to be furnished with the initial application. It implied that the emphasis of the job was writing, but was what was really vague in terms of what the writing was for. We only got a few applications, like two, and um, they were they were all from professional writers, like marketing content writers or journalists. Their salary expectations were also breathtaking, to say the least. So we thought it through and we modified the posting so the emphasis was placed really on the usual executive assistant experience and skills, but noted that the applicants invited for an interview would then be given a hypothetical assignment to compose a few letters of correspondence on behalf of the president. Many executive assistants with experience composing letters on, they have experience composing letters on behalf of the executive that they support. So in short, short order, we were receiving a good number of qualified applicants. It seemed like this small adjustment made a big difference by focusing on the real required task and not placing too much emphasis on a particular vague ability like writing. The second strategy he suggested was identifying goals for your affirmative action plan throughout job classifications and position descriptions. Import AAP targets into job classifications Tag position descriptions with AAP goals of underrepresented jobs or job groups, proactively bringing targeted positions to the hiring manager's attention, especially when updating a position description prior to posting. Wayne uses Positions, the position management solution from People Admin, to manage this process. The job classification can be used as a template for creating many job descriptions using the same set of criteria and summary information. In other words, when when you get to start a new job description, it gives you that choice of, do you want to compose it yourself? Do you want to base it on a job classification? Do you want to copy it, et cetera? If you use a standard um, job classification, whatever you have set will source the data over and uh, keep them consistent within classifications. Having said all that, here's a good place to insert the AAP data so it's copied into each successive job description based upon the job class. And you can see that in red at the bottom of the right side. Even better, if the job descriptions are created this way, if you change the original job classification, those changes are automatically reflected in all the job descriptions that are based upon that job class, which is neat and saves time. The third strategy Wayne suggests is to identify where supplemental questions may needlessly restrict your candidate pool. Take note of applicants who fail the supplemental questions because they're written in an overly restrictive way. In other words, they screen themselves out. This can also result in a pool that's surprisingly small when the job class would indicate a substantial number of qualified candidates should be out there. At Rice, this would mean asking the staff recruiters to look at applicants who screen themselves out and try to identify a job requirement that seems to be eliminating candidates who might actually be viable. Wayne also recommends using standardized evaluative criteria supported by Hire, People Admin's applicant tracking solution, 
to assess candidates consistently. Right now, our staff applicant reviews use supplemental questions inconsistently, and each hiring manager tends to create her own criteria and process for each applicant pool. We should begin to use not only supplemental questions, but also some standardized evaluative criteria. Do you know what evaluative criteria is? Do any of you use it? Okay, and it's, there's specific questions or interview criteria that are set out at the beginning of the search, and each candidate is asked or, or responds to this set of criteria or questions so that without it, each person that comes in the interview might have a different set of questions. Um, it also allows uh, people admin to score the answers and helps you tally up, you know, who should be in the final um, group. Finally, Wayne suggests updating your applicant portal to ensure it appeals to diverse candidates. How often do you go look at your applicant portal? I forget to do it, but it's the, the first thing our applicants see and it's the only thing they see until they're hired and maybe not even after that. Um, so it leaves a, a strong first impression with prospective applicants. So these ideas might prove useful. Um, side announcements related to diversity, perhaps individual spotlights on employees of note. Remember that logging in to the applicant portal displays more info than the home page or the applicant portal homepage before you log in. So you can add more content. He also highlighted the importance of mobile accessibility. Site mobility across multiple devices is now essential. Even though I cannot imagine applying for a job on my phone, but I guess I'm a dinosaur because people do it. And today I've heard, you know, we, we're, we are working hard to make sure these things work correctly on all devices. Um, and I've seen some analytics that point to the fact that, you know, certain age groups, 24 to 35, um, they have no problem doing it. They're probably playing, you know, a game in one hand and applying for a job at Rice on the other. But anyway, it's the wave of the future and we have to get on board. Well, there you have it. Best practices in higher education talent management. If you'd like to learn more, please view the additional resources section in the episode description. Thank you for listening.